Understand this world is against you. All right, this system that the enemy has brought, it is against you. We are finding the more that our country has turned away from God, the more that we have turned against Christianity, the more we've turned against people who want to do right, people who want to live in liberty. That's the way it's simply are. There are two reasons that Jesus said we would be persecuted. Number one, we'd be persecuted for his namesake, simply because of our association with him, of our union with him. And because the world hated him, he said it will hate you also. We will be persecuted merely because we are united with Jesus Christ and we care his name to the world. We work in his name. We sing in his name. We worship in his name. We preach in his name. We pray in his name. Everything we do is in his name and for his name's sake. But then he said the second reason we'll be persecuted is because we simply do what's right. He will be persecuted for righteousness sake, he said. This is not because of any association, particularly with Christ. We, we live right because Christ lives in us. But, but it, it's not a particular being associated with his name, but just simply because we do what is right. When you do what is right, it means that you believe in a, in a system of moral absolutes. When you, you do something that's right and you call it to be right, you name it as right, then it means that the opposite of that is something that's wrong. Whenever you have a system of right and wrong, you have a moral system that, of course, eventually is going to point to God. We mentioned that in our Bible school, that, that your a law, the very idea of law presupposes a moral system, a system of rights and wrongs. Law must come from a moral system. A moral system presupposes religion, and religion presupposes a God. Or gods uh, be whatever your religion may be. But our law is, of course, that which comes from the Word of God. Our moral system is the moral absolutes that are delineated in the Holy Scripture. Our religion is Christianity. Our God is Jehovah, as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's who we are. And we believe in that law. And when you believe that and you simply do what's right, you are going to have an impact and be a contradiction to those who are in sin and whose lives do not fall in line with what even their conscience would tell them is so. Now, having said that, this is where we're at. I wanted to go back and I want to pick up on this and, and talking about this idea of reigning in life. The Bible says we sit with Christ in heavenly places. When he saved you, he raised you from the deadness of your sin and he made you to sit with him in heavenly places. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and earth is his. He is head of the family. He is head of state. He is head of the church. He is the sovereign head over all. But let's understand some things first of all. Number one, that when God made this planet and then he made man to dwell upon it, he gave this earth to the dominion of men. Not something in that he gave it to men's dominion in which men would never be accountable to God. And God said, the earth is your playground. Go do what you want. That wasn't it. He made the earth. He made the man. He placed him there. And then he gave him dominion. You are in charge of things here. And so, but ultimately, that man would be responsible to God for his rule. Man messed up. God kicked him out of the garden. And we've watched that. We watched that God has given dominion to men. Even now today, the earth is under the dominion of men. And I should say that there are, there are men that are ruling. Men that are heads of state. Men that are heads of home. Men that are, that are working as pastors and leaders in the church and the business realm across countries and nations and, and cities in various jurisdictions in various offices. Men are ruling and men are reigning. That's a fact. But the problem is, is that men that are reigning, they themselves are being ruled by sin and death. They themselves are under the dominion of sin so that as they reign, they are not reigning for the glory of God. They are not ruling in a manner that they should rule to give God praise and 
acknowledge his uh, uh, work as creator, as savior, and as the sovereign of the earth. Uh, that man owes his existence to God uh, and was created for the honor and the glory of God. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, that man sinned. He rebelled against God. God kicked him out of the garden uh, of Edom. But in his rebellion against God, he came self, uh, could not master the thing uh, that he had done. Uh, he will not master the sin. The sin will master him. This idea of sin in the Bible at the very core is self-centeredness. It is selfishness. We are, in this sense, little sovereigns. I've shared this before. What do I mean by a sovereign? By a sovereign, I mean that you have a free will. I mean that you have the ability to make choices. You have the ability to enter into contracts. You have liberties. You can choose to go here or to go there. You can choose whom you marry. You can choose a, 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 a what kind of business, things that you start. You can make agreement with this person and that person. You can buy own, own property. You can can have land that you rule over. You manage that land. You manage a business. You may have a home and you as the owner of that home can dictate the things that take place in that household. You are a little sovereign. All right, that's not a problem. The fact that you're a sovereign is that God made you that way, but you're not a supreme sovereign. You're a sovereign that lives under the sovereignty of God. And what you must know is that God is a supreme sovereign and he's the only supreme sovereign. God God has complete liberty. There are no restrictions. You and I often have restrictions upon our liberty. I may have the liberty to purchase whatever I want to purchase, but my finances may restrict that liberty. Hello? Yes, I may have a liberty to buy a brand new F-350 Ford pickup with a 6.7 diesel in it and the cost around $70,000. I have the liberty. I have the liberty in America to go enter into a contract with Ford and to buy that truck. But I can tell you, my finances have placed a big limitation on that liberty and I'm not going to do that. I don't have the finances to do it and I got better sense too. But nevertheless, I don't have the money to go do that kind of thing. Your health can put limitations on your liberty. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. And you get sick and can't even leave your bed. Yes, sir. You may have the liberty, but there are things at a time in her end. Sometimes the government comes in and restricts our liberties. Sometimes you're a child. You have liberty to play in your room. You want to do this and that, and you have freedom. But that freedom operates under a sphere as jurisdiction. And so your liberty becomes restrained by your mother and your father. Father, who are going to dictate your steps and, and where you go, or they give you liberty in a certain realm. But outside of that, they are going to make the decision on what is what because they know what is best for your life. Now, government, obviously, human government doesn't always know what is best, but God does. God has no restrictions on his liberty. He has a liberty of will. He can choose whatever he wants to do, and he can always carry it out. He has no sickness that will hamper, hamper him. He has no weakness that will overcome him. There is no lack of material resources or strength or power that can ever place any restriction upon the liberty of God. God can and always has done what he wants to do. Our God is in the heaven, the psalmist says. He has done whatever has pleased him. You say, well, that's bad. That's selfish. Not on God's part. It's not selfishness on the part of God. I explain, I give you an example. So here's a mother and father. They're wiser, they're older, they have a child. And the child says, I want to go out and play in the street. Daddy, I don't like to ride my bicycle in the backyard because it's grass. It's bumpy and it's hard to ride. It's a lot easier to ride my bike on the road. But the parents step in and say, you're not riding your bike on the road. It's too dangerous. Cars come by and they can't see you and they are going by fast and they will run over you. The road is not a proper place for you to ride your bike. I know you may not like to ride it in the yard, but that's the best that I can do for you. And the parent overrules the child. The parent makes a decision. We don't look at that parent and say they're selfish. We say they got some smarts because a parent says they always want their child to have the way. Let the child ride the bike in the road 
is a parent that doesn't care, is a parent that's unwise. It's a parent who, who has forgot that they've been put in charge of their children and they're the ones that may ought to make the decision for sure. A 30-year-old ought to know a heap more than a 5-year-old. You've been put in charge to know that, and I can tell you, God is in charge of this universe, and I promise you, he knows a lot better how to run your life than you do. He knows much better about how we are meant to be and our purpose and what we should do than you and I do because he made us and he designed us. So men are ruling. God does place the earth under men. And when men sinned, God didn't take the earth away from them. He didn't even take the earth and give it to the devil. But how does the devil reign? How does the devil influence in this earth? The devil reigns and influences because he finds men who buy his philosophy. His philosophy is be your own boss. His philosophy is live your self-centered life. His philosophy is this. Take your sovereignty and place your sovereignty in contradiction to God's sovereignty. God is a supreme sovereign. You are a little sovereign. You have as much right to, to, uh, to, to determine what is right and wrong as God does. You have as much right to determine what's good for you and what's bad for you as God does. That was what was inherently in this business of eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anytime you talk about good and evil, you talk about a moral system. You talk about rights and wrong. Good and evil are opposite one another. When you know good and evil, then you know that there are two opposing forces. They already in some sense knew good. But Adam and Eve, before they ate of that tree, they were in a world where there was no evil. They were in a world that was nothing but good. And, and But they really had nothing in which they could contrast that. They didn't know what a guilty conscience felt like. They didn't know what a violation of God's law looked like. They had been told that death is bad and that they should not eat of the tree because they will die they surely know it must be bad but they do not know uh, exactly what death is going to bring uh, and what that's going to feel like what that's going to look like uh, 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 and so the devil sells them a line uh, eat the tree uh, God knows that the day you eat this tree you'll become as he is uh, you'll become Elohim you'll become that sovereign uh, and you will know right and wrong you will know good and evil and basically the idea is you knowing good and evil you can determine what's right for you you can determine what's good you can determine what's evil. And that's what we've got. We've got men and women going around uh, and they take uh, their own will. They develop their own morality. They develop their own system of good and evil, if you will, based on their own selfish interest uh, and their own fleshly inclinations. Uh, and they place themselves uh, in opposition to the sovereignty of God. Uh, that's what sin is. Uh, it's the self-life. Uh, it's when you develop your own morality. It's when you justify your own person. It's when you dictate uh, what is is right for life and what is wrong for life. It's when you chart your own course and by so doing you place yourself in contradiction to the sovereignty of God. That's the devil's lie. That's the devil's system. We bought it. Every one of us has bought into it at some time or another. Be your own boss. Chart your own course. Listen to your own heart. Be all you can be. Look out for number one. Those are the phrases of the world. Self-esteem. That's the phraseology of the world, but it all comes down to that same lie. You can be your own God. You can determine your own steps. You can make your own destiny and make your world what you want it to be. But it hasn't turned out too well. Because we have what I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 billion people upon the earth. And when you give 8 billion people living by a principle of self-centeredness, I don't even care if it's a billion or whatever it is, uh, uh, 6 billion, 5 billion, whatever, uh, uh, take the Christians that are genuine out of that portrait, but leave the rest that are living by their own selfish interest. I will tell you, you can't have peace because it's not just the sovereignty of men against the sovereignty of God. It's the sovereignty of this man against the sovereignty of that man. It's the sovereignty of this man against the sovereignty of that man. Well, I think this is right. 
right. Well, I think this is right. Well, I don't think that's right. Well, I don't think that's right. And then we're all at each other's throats uh, because you cannot have unity when you've got sovereignties in conflict, uh, when you've got people of free will and they are, are, are going to live by their own selfish will. Each one thinks they are supreme. Each one thinks that they know what is best. Each one thinks that they're number one. Then you are destined for conflict. You are destined for war. You cannot have peace when men exert their own self-will. There is but one way to have peace, and that is we take our sovereignty and we deliver it up to the sovereignty of God, and we say, Lord, you're supreme. You're all-wise. You're all-knowing. You're benevolent. You're true. Show me how to live. Direct my steps. I yield my will to yours. Let you have full sway in my life. So when I said, this is how the devil gets in the picture. Men have went their own way. That's the devil's philosophy. He went his own way. And so he is able to appeal to that selfishness through temptation, through influence, through the power of suggestion. He can guide and direct. There are even, it goes so far, there are certain people he can possess. Demons will possess human beings. But I'll be honest with you. That really has never got the devil that far. When a demon possesses a house, it becomes terrible for that house. When he possesses a human, it becomes a horrible experience for that human. But that is often not something that he gets as far with. He's found he's gotten much further by influence, by, by letting men think they're doing their own thing. Ephesians chapter 2 said in our time past, we walked according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience so that the devil being that prince and power of the air by suggestion, by, by thought, by influence, he is able to influence Influence the minds of men. And when you've got men that you can appeal to their selfishness, you can appeal for them to exert and exalt their own sovereignty, then I'm telling you, you got a man because he would be devoted to himself. And a man devoted to himself will make a powerful force in this world. He will go out and he can sometimes, through his influence, he can influence other humans to follow after him. We've watched this the cultic influences of those who have charisma, of men who have ability of men who have a, a personality that, that people are just attracted to. Uh, give those men and put them uh, under a philosophy designed by Satan uh, that appeals to their own selfish interests, that exalts their sovereignty, that brings to them the worship of their own person. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing what's happened in countries. We would never think uh, that people like Adolf Hitler could rise to the power and the ranks that they rise to. You look sometimes, uh, I mean, he looks like a little worm almost, uh, when you look at him, a little nothing of a man. I mean, one good punch would knock the guy out. He's, he's not big in physique. He, he wasn't big in, in, in the sense of his, his power. He didn't have some kind of presence physically that's overwhelming. But there's a spirit in this man that drives him. There's a self-interest. There's a power of personality. There's an oratorical skill. And it's amazing what countries have been led to do through the power of one individual. And people who are willing to yield their sovereignties to that one individual. But ultimately, they're in conflict with God. So Satan rules, but not directly. Interesting thing is that when man fell, God didn't say, okay, you're out and the devil's in. He didn't do that. This earth is still under the dominion of men. Don't forget it. Now, you need to understand something right here. Well, why doesn't God do something? He is. Yes, he is. His purpose right now is this. Can I tell you, if God had done what many of us think he should have done, you wouldn't be here today. Why didn't God just come down and destroy all that? Well, he would have if he'd have destroyed all of that that you want him to destroy and would have done it years ago. You wouldn't be here today. 
It's his patience. It's his forbearance. It's his willingness to put up with the one junk of men. Oh, there finally comes a place when men do go too far. And when it comes that they have pushed their sovereignty too far and they are destructive to all of humanity, God will step in. He'll rain fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He'll let this nation come in. The, the Goths will come in and take over the, the empire of Rome. It will fall to, to the Visigoths, I believe it is and Rome's power will fall. There are nations that have risen and there are nations that have fallen and God will raise up this one and it will come against this one. When this one goes too far down the road, God will bring judgment. There are pestilences. There are whole civilizations that have been wiped out by one disease. One virus comes in and they've discovered it was an entire civilization but it was wiped out by a disease. It's nothing more than the sovereignty of God because men in their sin and their wickedness have went too far. And when it becomes destructive to the ultimate ends of God, there comes a time when mercy must shut down and the rod must fall. There comes a time when the grace, the fountain of grace must be shut up and the hand of God's judgment must fall upon the civilizations, societies, businesses, and institutions that man has established. But God has not taken it from man. He lets them reign. He lets them exercise their sovereignty. But what is he doing right now? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's calling to them. Come unto me. Come unto me. Hear my voice. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and bring yourself under my government. Turn from your self-centered ways. Turn from your selfish ways and let your sovereignty be yielded up to mine. I know what's best for you. I know best how to guide and to govern your life. Yield your life to me. And he says, whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. Oh, yes. He said, for what shall a man gain if he gains the whole world and loses his soul but he said if you'll follow me oh he said I will give you eternal life he gives reaches out to us what's he doing right now he is being patient he is giving the church an opportunity the gospels to be preached let the word of Christ be preached let the message of the gospel be preached across this world he lives he lives he lives Adolf Hitler is gone Mussolini is gone the philosophers are gone Aristotle Aristotle is gone. Plato is gone. Death captivated them all. You can talk about all of those minds. And the, the death has captured them. The grave has taken them. But when it took Jesus, it couldn't hold him. When it put him down in the grave, it couldn't hold him. He rose on the third day and he sits at the right hand of God in power. And so he's such that what the Lord is doing is patiently administering, waiting until the time is ripe and men have went too far and then he'll drop his judgment. The only hope for America is that the church will pray and preach the gospel. The only hope for America is not a restoration of our rights but a restoration of our responsibility. When you give liberty to a people who have no self-control, who have no discipline, who have no goodness in their heart, then you are destined for destruction. It's just going to hurt us. I think it was recently that locally some young boy in a car playing with a handgun was left there by the parents. I, I, I think I have my facts right, but there's a story recently taking place and handgun goes off, he shoots himself. I believe the child dies or something tragic happens. See, it gives perfect opportunity for the gun control people to say, ha, 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 see, we told you. Guns are dangerous. They are dangerous. But the problem wasn't the gun. Cars are dangerous. They can kill you. Hello? Knives are dangerous. They can kill you. Hammers are dangerous. Drills are dangerous. Chainsaws are dangerous. There are a lot of things in this world that are danger. 
but they can also become instruments of use. I can use a chainsaw to slop off heads. I can use it to cut open your torso. Or I can use it to cut firewood, heat my home, and be a great value and a great benefit to me. Yes, sir. You can use a gun to take lives. You can use a gun to feed your family. You can use a gun to preserve your own being. The problem is not in the danger of the instrument. The problem is in the lack of discipline and the self-control and the goodness. For years now, we've had homes out of control. We've had children out of control. And when you take can place a gun in an atmosphere where children have no discipline. They have no respect of authority. They have no training. They won't listen to moms and dads. You're destined for trouble, my friend. You're destined for trouble. It's our problem. We're giving rights and liberties and, and, and to folks who have no moral discipline, who have no moral principles, who have no self-control, and we're losing it. Why? Because inwardly we're not governed. And so our government's stepping in to control us externally because we have no internal controls. It's inevitable. I don't agree with it. I'm just telling you and it's inevitable. When a people can't control themselves, somebody's got to do it. And the rest of us that are law-abiding and righteous, we get our rights infringed on. And we hate that and we struggle at that. Yes, but let's bring it back home where it's at. It comes back to us sitting right here in this room today. Where do we stand in all of that? We can't sit here with some sanctimonious sense and say, hey, we're better than all that. Well, if we are, there is one reason we are. If your home is successful today, it owes that success to one reason. If I'm able to stand here today and proclaim these things to you and to declare the word of God, it is for one reason I can do that. It is because he brought me out of sin. It's because I was there once. I'm telling you, take Jesus out of our life and we'd be with the rest of the crowd running down that same road. I'm telling you somewhere, we must understand it's because he lives. It's because he lives. It's because he lives that I live also, that I have hope, that I can do what is right because Christ lives in me. We can say what we want to, but take Christianity out of the picture. And our world would be a different world than it is today, even if it existed still. Remove Christ from history, and you will have taken away the bulk of good that has been done among humanity. Christ came and he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, Colossians tells us. A handwriting of ordinances. We had violated the law of God. We had lived in contradiction to God's rules and when you violate the law you know that's what they do when, you, when you're driving down the road and you, you violate the law you go faster than the speed limit the policeman stops you and he writes out your violation of the ordinance you were speeding there's a city ordinance or a county ordinance or a state ordinance, whatever it was, and you violated that ordinance, sir. The speed limit said 35 and you were going 55. You were 20 miles over and there is now a handwriting of an ordinance that is against you. Oh, yes, there's a violation of the law. You now have a penalty to pay. You now have something you got to account for. You are now a lawbreaker. And can I tell you something? We had many handwritings of ordinances against us. If I can put it this way. You had a stack of moral tickets that lasted big. I mean a big stack of infractions, tickets that were written against you. You violated this. You failed to do this. You failed to honor me here. You failed to honor God here. You lied here. You stole here. You cheated here. You lusted here. You, you cheated on your wife in this regard. Oh, you had lust control in your mind. You were taken by the pornography. You got drunk here. You own and own and on the list goes of our lies, our self-centeredness. You were proudful. You were hypocritical. You didn't live according to the truth. You didn't tell it as it was. You failed to honor God. The list of ordinances stacked up year after year after year. And Christ took them and he nailed them. He nailed them to the cross. Oh, glory to God. He nailed them to the cross. But what was written? There was something written. There was something written. 
Normally they would write the crime on the cross of the one that's being executed. What's his crime? No cheating done here. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. There's a little aspect that didn't get right. He is King of the Jews. That's true. But he is King of the earth. And the thing that happens is that our sins were not listed out. That would have been impractical and impossible in that regards. But what is it that was nailed to that cross? Here it is. Your king. Your king is taking your place. Your king, the Bible side said, he himself bare our own sins in his body. In his body, he bore the sins. All of those handwriting of ordinances was on him. It was laid on his shoulders. The king is bearing it all. Your ruler, your creator, your governor, your king. This isn't just a neighbor down the road. This isn't just some friend. This isn't just your buddy. This isn't just so-and-so. It isn't just Johnny come lately. This isn't just some uh, uh, Tom Dicker. Harry that lives over there on the next corner that's your king this is your maker this is the one who ordained and brought life to you this is the one by whose name and reason you exist you exist for no other reason but by him look on him for there is your sin do you see his wounds that's what your sin has done he bore our transgressions he has laid on him the iniquity of us all all of our sin has been laid upon Jesus Christ and he bore it honorably He bore it with dignity. He bore it in love. He bore it without complaint. God Almighty died for us. But he did more than that. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He cannot bring you to reign in life until he conquers what has conquered you. So there you were reigning, each of us, little sovereigns, reigning in our little world, selfishly doing what we wanted. And we thought we had it all in control. We know what's best. Yeah? How's that worked out for you? Yeah? How's that worked out for you? I'm going to tell you something right now. We are miserable shepherds. Incapable of truly being our own God and our own guide. It doesn't work well. The sin and the rebellion and the selfishness that we exerted against God came to control us. We either become so brazen and so hard that we become unfit to even be around. Or else we get to the place we're miserable with our own selves. Discontented. Living in sin. Help us, Lord. That self-centeredness that gripped us and brought us down. Death and sin that conquered us. Jesus came and conquered sin. And he conquered death. Whoo. And he liberated you from that. Colossians 1 said he translated us from that kingdom of darkness. That power of darkness. And he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. The Bible said he called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible said he brought us from death unto life. He broke the powers of darkness in order that you and I could walk in the light. He broke the chains of sin. He took and nailed your transgressions to the cross so that you could be pardoned. But he went further than that. Now you hear what I'm about to say. You take your Bibles. You can read it. Just make a note of it. You can go to John 8 and read it. You can read it in Revelation, Romans please, chapter 6. It's mentioned time and again in the scriptures. Uh, it's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And let me, let me explain to you what I say here this morning. This is the idea. Christianity, as you know many full well, that we have preached often. The only thing we preach about Calvary is forgiveness of sins. But Jesus didn't die just to free you from the penalty of your transgressions. He didn't die only so that you may be liberated from the guilt and the shame of the violence 
violations and then you go back and do it again. There's something that led you there. He came to break the self principle in your life. He came to break the effect of sin and the hold that it had upon your heart. He came to take out that heart of stone that had been rebellious against God and rejected God's law and he came to replace it with a heart of flesh that he can write his law on. Glory to God. And his law would be written on our heart so that when we live good, we don't live good because we have to. We don't live good because we're forced to. We don't live good because God is a slave driver. We live good because our nature has been transformed and he has made us good. Now watch this. It's a verse we often misquote and therefore we misunderstand it. Notice what we talked about in Romans 5. I, I preached last Sunday and you have to get that tape too. But talked about, he's talked twice he mentions in Romans 5 that death reigned. Once he mentions sin reigned. He mentions sin reigned again in Romans chapter 6. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Jesus came not only to break the reign of sin in your heart, the self-centered principle. He came to break the reign of sin in your body. He mentions how he's going to do that. That he's not simply going to die for you. He's going to take you with him. That when he is crucified and you come to believe in him, you're going to share in that experience. And he's going to crucify you. He's going to crucify that old man. Not physically crucify us. We live. But Paul said it. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Paul in Romans 6 says, the old man is crucified with him. Why? Why does God take me and nail me there? In other words, when Christ dies, he's not just bearing my sins. There is a wonderful way that only God can bring about. It's there on that cross that he is going to do something. Not simply by taking my place, but he's going to unite me so that I can die with him. If I believe, if I will have the provision, then he will nail me with him to the cross so that that old life, because this is one way you can get rid, really the only way that you can get rid of the enslavement of sin. Sin is not going to let you go. You are not going to wake up on a fresh Monday morning, on a bright sunny day, and the drugs are going to say you're free today. The alcohol is not going to say you're free today. The selfish heart is not going to say, go ahead now, I release you to serve God. I release you to do what is right and no longer live self. No, you will find out that sin is a master that will not let go. It is something that will hold on to you again and again and again. But there is one way we can rid of it, and that is we die to it. Oh, yeah, there's two ways. There's two ways to get rid of a master. Either one, the master releases you and gives you your freedom or two, the master dies. If the master dies, then you're free and you're no longer obligated to him. And that's what the Lord said. But he said, I'm not really going to come and kill sin. Sin's very much alive in the world. I'm going to kill you. Woo, go into the Lamb of God. And he said, I'm not going to kill the law. I'm not going to kill its moral respectitude. I'm not going to kill its influence. I'm not going to kill its righteousness. I'm not going to get rid of the law. I'm going to get rid of that old you. I'm going to take that self-centered, proudful, rebellious life and nail it with me on that cross and you're going to die right there and then I'm going to give you a new heart and let you be raised up so that you can live in newness of life. You are going to die to sin. So now that when sin comes by to tantalize you, you are going to look and say, I am dead to you. You got no more hold on my life. You have no right to grip me. I do not listen. I look to the power of God right now to overcome and say, Jesus, you are my strength. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now listen carefully. So sin masters us in two ways. Number one, it masters the will. 
It masters the heart. Selfishness will get such a grip on a man's life that he has no ability to escape it. He can trade the outward things. He can dress it up under society's respectfulness. He can drag it out of the slum and, and, and bring it to live in, in a nicer neighborhood. But it's still rotten at its core. It's still in rebellion against God. And so he takes, sin will master your will. It will master your heart and selfishness will rule you. And you will find you cannot escape it. But as your selfness rules you and you yield yourself to your own fleshly pleasures and inclinations. Oh, we may go out and harp on things and show how good we are. Look how we have helped humanity. We are standing up for what's right. We stand against the abortion. Look at the good deeds we're doing. That's fine. That's what we see in the public eye. Can we please, sir, ma'am, could we walk with you to the bedroom? Could we walk with you to the solitude of your back porch when no one's looking? And can we see what you're looking at on your phone? And while you could go out and help the world... You couldn't conquer the porn. While the world looks and you come maybe even to church, you go to your base of business and it looks like your marriage is well. But when we examine the home, we find bitterness. When we go to your bedroom, we find coldness. And we find out that, sir, you can't keep your eyes off the other woman. You conquered some of the great lies of your government, but you couldn't conquer the lie in your own life. The little cheating that you did to get ahead. The little lie you told so that it would work out to your advantage. Hello? Who's mastering you now, sir? Oh, I'm good. I've got this. I've got that. Yes, sir. But I will tell you, we will find there are lusts that are controlling in your life that you've given yourself to. And your old body cries for them. That now you think this is disrespectful. I am not living in a man that's respectful. But now the passions have become so monstrous in your body that you are a slave to them. And they draw you away. I'm never going back. I won't do it again. Promise after promise you are broken. You say, I'll never go back there. I'm tired of that. I'm never going to give myself to the liquor again. I'm never going back to the porn again. I promise I will do better. Oh, but the body in its monstrous addiction raises up and you seal it. It fills you again. It calls you again. And before you know it, in the darkness of your room, in the little corner of your office, somewhere you've got a side and you're on those sites again. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Let me have a little look. It won't be much this time and I'll put it down but it gets monstrous it gets bigger it lays hold of you again you lay in bed in the darkness and your own conscience is eating you alive and your own body is crying out and you are being destroyed sin is reigning in your body it reigns in your heart your inward man and it reigns in your flesh your mortal body until Jesus comes He says, I'm going to nail you to the cross with me and I'm going to destroy that body dominated by sin. The terms are repeated in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Sin and death. Sin and death. Sin and death. He says, let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. He talks about where you yielded yourself from sin to sin unto death. Iniquity unto iniquity. Now yield yourself as those that are 
free from the dead. Hallelujah. Freed from sin. Now yield yourself unto righteousness. It goes on and on. And in Romans chapter 6, he says, we die unto sin. And it is no longer the master. Sin no longer has dominion over us. In Romans chapter 7, 6 and 7, he talks again. You're not under the law, but under grace. And sin shall have no dominion over you. It will no longer means to be the master of your life. You no longer need to yield to its addictions. There is a freedom. And then he comes to that wonderful verse in Romans chapter 8 and he says this. He talks about that this great liberty for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law. Can I say it in other words? Or he says of the law of sin and death. Can I say it another way? For the law of the spirit of life, the government of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has liberated me from the government from the reign from the dominion of sin and death I'm no longer under sin's law I'm no longer under death's rule I've been liberated and my body has been restored the addiction has been broken and I now reign in life hallelujah here's the reigning now comes Give me a few. You have been set free. So that you may freely do what is right. The scripture makes it clear no man can serve two masters. You can't serve Christ when sin is mastering you. So he has destroyed the mastery of sin. He has destroyed the mastery of death. And says... You can now yield yourself to righteousness. Follow me. Obey me. Let me guide you. Oh. And you will know what life is all about. Now listen to what he says. Again in Romans 5 he says, Whereas by one man's offense, he said sin came and Death came by sin. It was condemnation came to many. But he said by the, that righteous act of one, he says that they that receive of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. This is what you've got to get a hold of. I know I've painted a pretty dismal picture, but it's a fact you don't see where you're at, you can't get where you need to be. I had a person call me the other day. It's frustrating. They were on their way to my house, and they were trying to find their way, and they called me. I said, where are you? Well, 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 well I, I really don't know. Have you passed this? I'm trying to find some landmarks. Do you see this? Do you see that? Well, I... I, 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 I really don't know. I, 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 have, you, have you went past this? Did you see this turn on? Did you see this business? Nothing. It was frustrating. We become so that we, we become so unobservant that we don't even know where we're at. Physically, we become so dependent on GPS. I'm not telling you that's a sin. I'm just telling you that technology may be smart, but it's made us dumber. We've got smartphones with dumb operators. Now that, you, you don't like that, I'm sorry, but that's just a fact. And I said, forget it. I'll text you the address. Point being this. If there's not some things you can recognize that I can help you discern where you are. If I don't know where you are and you don't know where you are, I can't point to you to get where you need to be. 
even though I know where you need to be, and even though you know where you need to be, if there are no landmarks, if we're just out there wandering around, well, have you seen this? Is this right? Do you believe this is right? Is God real? Buddy, if we can't agree on some landmarks, if you and I can't find some place, some solid footing to determine, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. I rebelled against God. I'm a sinner. I can help you, sir. I can point the way home. I can tell you the road. Repent of your sin. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Let him be Lord. Die with him at Calvary. Die to sin. Now this reigning in life can happen because he's freed us. I, I had a point I wanted to make and I, it just came back to me. I'm sorry. I, I got beyond it. You know this verse well in this church. You can look it up. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 8. But here's what he did. There's a difference. You remember the scripture Jesus said. He, the Bible spoke in John 8. He spoke to those Jews which believed upon him. And he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then he goes on and say, they said, well, we, we're, we're not under any man's bondage. We're free. We're children of Abraham. No. And Jesus said, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And he said, the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore shall make you, not set you, shall make you free, right. you shall be free indeed. Right. Jesus didn't come to set you free. He came to make you free. We're setting men free. Jesus makes them free. Read the book. Stand steadfast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Not set you free. Made you free. What's the difference? Setting a man free is simply loosing him from his external bondage. It's simply breaking the chains that hold him externally and then letting him go free but he is still a bound man because the very principles in his heart that took him to that bondage are still in his heart you have set him free but you haven't made him free making a man free is when you reach down inside and you break sin there and you break the hold it has on that man glory to God and then that man now walks out he is free oh yes now you can lock him up in prison now you can set him down in the midst of wickedness but he walks in righteousness he walks in truth because he himself is free you haven't just loosed him from an addiction you have broken the principle of sin in his life in our church for the day we're just setting men free we're trying to change their circumstances we put them in a support group we give them better physical props we just get them among good people I've watched this time and again I've had folks come to my house I, I've watched this so many times it just it gets to be an absurdity. I, I, but I try to res, respond appropriately. But they'll come, Brother Woods, you know. I just want your daughters to spend some time with my daughter to make them better. What I need is, is my child to spend time with your children so that they can influence them. Wait a minute. Don't make my children the corrector of your years of sin. A few days and weeks of influence are going to fix years of hypocrisy and self-centeredness that has run the home. Your first step, sir, is this. Repent of your own sin and turn your own life to Christ. Christ. 
and let your child see in you a true example of what God can do in a man's life. Let them see that in your home, sir or ma'am, that there's been a transformation, that you have come out of the prince of darkness and that kingdom, that you are free. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. You no longer talk like you used to talk. You no longer walk like you used to walk. You don't listen to what you used to listen to. You don't watch what you used to watch. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't go where you used to go. Oh, you don't love what you used to love and you don't hate what you used to hate. Let them see that in you there is a power to transform. Become a living example. Become a living illustration of the liberty of Jesus Christ and that you have been made free so that now you are reigning in life. Then, sir, we can come alongside you and be supportive of this. We can not only show how Christ has transformed you, we can show how he's transformed us. But do not expect us to be the corrector of your year's worth of error because we cannot do it. It starts with you, sir. It starts with you, ma'am. It starts with you, daddy. It starts with you, mama. Become what you want your children to be. Become what you want your children to be. Be the example unto others. Overcome evil with good. Oh, not simply by throwing them into a better atmosphere. You do what's good. You show them your life has been transformed by the power of God. I'm going to close with this thought. I didn't get it all done. But I'm going to close with this. You reign. Christ breaks the power of sin in your heart and gives you a new heart. He breaks the addictions in your body. And so that sin doesn't reign in your body. And now you're free to take that body. You're really free to take that body. Now you can't take it out and go back to the bar room and say, ha, I'll overcome. No. Why do you want to go there? You have to take that body and now yield it up to good activity. Yeah. Yield yourself to righteousness. And let it have, let Christ have his way in his life. But, but watch this. Again, you reign. I told you last Sunday, God puts the steering wheel back in your hands. He doesn't force you to walk with him. He doesn't force you to obey him. You now take. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, you yield yourself, your body, a living sacrifice. You present yourselves unto God. Ooh, hallelujah. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. That which is your reasonable service. When God has liberated you, when God has broken sin in your life, when God has brought you into his kingdom, reason would say now, not force, not force, reason and love. When such love has come to me, when such mercy has fallen upon me, when I see what great things and what great extents and lengths that God has went to to redeem me from my iniquity, my reason and my love will tell me that I owe him now everything. I will now give myself to him freely. I will now serve him freely. He need only ask. He need only direct. Just nudge me. Just teach me. Just lead me and I'm yours. You reign. God won't force your hand. He won't make you pray. He won't make you go to church. He won't make you do what's right. But he'll sure help you. He'll sure lead you. He'll sure encourage you. He'll sure direct you. But the choice is still yours, sir. Now as I close, please listen carefully. We reign in life. We do not reign over life. Notice, he didn't say he broke sin's reign in your life so that you can reign over sin. He didn't break the reign of death so you can reign over death. I don't reign over life. What do I mean I don't reign over life? Becoming a Christian doesn't mean I control every circumstance. Becoming a Christian doesn't make me to live in an accident-free world. Becoming a Christian does not mean that now I'm saved. Life is a bowl of cherries. You're going to get sick. 
You're going to have to go to work. You're going to sweat. You're going to get tired. You're going to have a bad day. Your boss is going to chew you out. Uh huh. You're going to get up with a headache and not feel like going to work. But your money in your bank account says you better go to work, bud. Your children are going to be meaner than normal. You're going to wake up to a government that hates you. You're going to wake up in a world that strips all your liberties and, and, and thinks you're nothing but a peon and just, just don't have any thinker and any ability to think. And I, I look sometimes at what's around. I said, either they're stupid or they think I am. I mean, you look at things, the absurdities are going, are you kidding me? So you go in the, the restaurant and I'm wearing a mask here. I have to wear a mask. I can walk two feet and sit down and take it off. So what did COVID do? I know what it, oh, COVID respects my right to eat. And it only floats around at five feet in the air and not four feet. I think, look, bud, what is it here? Do you think I'm that ignorant or are you that ignorant? But it can't be both. That's where we're at. We struggle with that. But all of a sudden, life throws us a curveball. We can't. We're wondering where that came from. Why did this happen? You don't reign over life. You reign in life. You do not take, and now you dictate every circumstance, and you dictate every scenario, and everything's going to happen the way you want it to happen. That's not it. You live in a world of sin. You live in a world of selfishness. You live in a world of death. And it's going to throw you a curveball. It's going to tempt you. It's going to hate you. It's going to persecute you. It's going to stand against you. You're going to wake up and your wife's breath's going to stink. You're going to go and come home and she's had a bad day. And you've had a bad day. And your life is going to feel miserable. And the devil's going to say, why don't you just take it? Why don't you just take your life? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you give in? I say, why don't you be a man of God? Why don't you be a woman of God? Why don't you stand up to the tempter and say because I reign in life glory to God devil I might not reign over life I might not dictate the weather I might not dictate the attitude of the boss I might not dictate the acts of the government but I can dictate what this piece of flesh is going to do today and today this piece of flesh is going to find a prayer closet and this piece of flesh is going to go to God and lift his name up and ask for his help and I'm going to worship the God that that made me free. Glory to the Lamb of God. I might not dictate the attitude of my wife, but I will dictate mine. She might be moody, but I won't be. She might be up and down, but I'm going to be her solid ground. Woo, glory to God. My children might have turned against me, but they're going to find that I reign. I reign. I reign. I live in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet this morning. Life does not become something that I control. It becomes something in which I live. I reign in life. There's an atmosphere in which I dwell. And it's an atmosphere called life. He defined it for us in John 17 and 3. And this is life eternal. To know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Life eternal is not a ticket to heaven. Life eternal is not eternal existence. Life eternal was not living in some playground of your imagination forever. Some heavenly harem or some heavenly golf course or some heavenly hunting ground. Life eternal is being able to have communion and knowledge of the one true God who is life. Life eternal is when you can eat from the bread of life. Life eternal is when you can walk with the life of the Father.
the light of life, the bread of life, the shepherd of life. Oh, the vine that gives life, the life and the resurrection. That's what life eternal is. When I reign in life, I reign because I walk with the one who reigns. I reign because I sit with him who reigns. I reign because through him, death and sin have been conquered in my life. I reign because sin doesn't reign over me and he has made me free. I reign because I live in fellowship with him and I walk in harmony and agreement with God and I do what God says and that gives me a fellowship on a level that the world cannot produce and oh what a quality of life it's better than the world the world can only have joy when their harvest is in but I can have joy when I'm in the dire circumstances when there's no money in the bank account I can rejoice because I have life And a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Maybe it's been repetitious for you, but I don't think it hurts you to hear it. You need to understand where we're at. Because this is where I want you to live. This is where God wants you to live. Quit giving in to the pressures of life. Are you saved? Well, I don't know anymore. Then you need an altar. The starting point for you is not a Bible study. The starting point for you is not a prayer line. The starting point for you is not asking if someone can counsel you. The starting point for you is not a new job. The starting point for you is not a new marriage. The starting point for you is an old altar. Yes, where you kneel down and say, Dear God, I have failed. I have turned back to my weak and beggarly ways. I have turned back to my self-centeredness. My pride has brought me down again. Lord, I have yielded myself unto the iniquities of this world. World, I beg your pardon. I ask you, Lord, to renew me. I ask you to save me. I want no more of this. I want to live in the liberty of Christ. I want to be free from the law of sin and death. I want to walk in the spirit so I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Quit talking about, well, I just don't know if it's me. I just don't want to make a scene. Get over it, buddy, because you're going to make one in hell. What you must do is go to the altar and say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I need you, I need you, I need you. I am incapable of mastering my own life. Humble your pride. Swallow that rotten, corrupting, self-centered smirk and pride and get rid of it and say, I want nothing of it. This is serious. This is my eternity. Do it. That's where you start. Get the freedom of Christ. Live in the power of his spirit. And if that's who you are, and you are indeed under that blood, and you have been liberated, you wake up and the depression comes upon you like a cloud. Lift your hand to the God of heaven and see the sun shining behind the cloud. And say, Father, today I am yours. This cloud that wants to come over me will not dictate my steps. My steps will be dictated by a fact, by a reality in which I live. I'm yours. I am yours and I reign in life. I am in communion with you. And Lord, one touch of your hand and the cloud will disperse. But if somehow, Lord, that cloud does not disperse, I know by faith that my hand is in your hand and I'm marching on. Help me to do good today. Come on, church. When you're feeling like you don't know where to go, fear and anxiety wants to overcome you. Why don't you say, I sit with Christ in heavenly places. I reign in life that is simply realizing the privilege and position that God has given to you that you do not have to let life circumstances dictate your steps feelings attitudes the world's opinions will not be your guide but the word and the spirit will dictate your direction.